This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, April 26. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Universal Pre-K comes to San Miguel County, Poetry Collection finds both darkness and radiance, a look back, local law enforcement trained for active shooter, and a mountain weather forecast. UPK, or Universal Pre-Kindergarten, is coming to Colorado as legislation passed back in 2022 is beginning to take effect. What that entails? The state is funding 15 hours of preschool um, a week for four-year-olds the year before kindergarten. That is from August through June, so it's for the school year. That's Maureen Randall pre-K manager for Bright Futures, a nonprofit which supports early childhood education across our wider region. Randall spoke to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners last week. In the region, Bright Futures serves, which Randall refers to as its catchment. The organization has been working with 34 daycare providers. And here in San Miguel County, we have six. So those are really good numbers for the first year of this. We have 50 children in San Miguel County who have registered and will be placed with universal preschool funding. So it's really exciting. Nearly everyone who has applied for universal preschool will get the funding. Today, April 26, the state is releasing matches between daycare providers and families who applied for UPK. Randall says Bright Futures has been coordinating those matches between the state and daycare providers in the region. We are working very closely with the state and in our catchment have been very fortunate that we have been able to avoid um, any fiascos as far as placement and, you know, overpromising for either providers or families. Um, But there have been a lot of things that have changed along the way. As Randall suggests, some of those changes have proven divisive. For example, the state recently decided not to honor continuity of care when it came to making matches. So, in some cases, families and their children could be forced to move daycare facilities, and other families could lose access to their providers. Bright Futures took a more hands-on approach than the state did in order to make sure no children lost access to their chosen daycare. Randall continues, And we're very fortunate that that is how we approached it from from the beginning. Because there are instances across the state where children are being displaced. The state's approach to that is that they feel that every child has, has every bit of a right to attend the program that they want, regardless of where they're currently attending or whether they've never attended. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. so that is a big, a big deal. Mm -hmm. Additionally, the coordination provided by Bright Futures assured that no daycare providers in the region will be over-enrolled. This all came as a relief for county commissioners. Here's Commissioner Lance Waring. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like there's been plenty of opportunity for surprise and you've managed to avoid some of those pitfalls. This is only the first year of UPK in Colorado, and in coming years, the methods and program specifics could continue to change. San Miguel County intends to continue its partnership with Bright Futures for the foreseeable future. Last week, 
poet Rosemary Watola Tromer released her latest work, All the Honey. In the book, Tromer, who lost her teenage son in 2021, explores both the depths of grief and the levity of life before amidst and following a period of deep loss. The book has already become something of a bestseller. Tromer spoke with KOTO News, and she begins recalling how the publisher Samara Press originally approached her about a new book project. They asked if I would try and create a book that had a big span in it. At that point, my son had died maybe six months before that. And at that point, I was kind of deeply steeped in poems that were all about grief. I knew I didn't want to write a book that was... I wasn't ready to put a book out into the world that was just about grief. But it also didn't feel authentic to put a book out into the world that wasn't about grief. So they they said, let's do a book that does it all. And, and I immediately thought, I can't imagine that. How would that even happen? Initially, Tromer set aside the publisher's offer. But shortly thereafter, Tromer was visited by a vision, which reopened her interest in the nascent project. It was a vision in which my dad... Uh, who also had died a few months earlier. My dad and my son both came and carved into my bedroom wall in all caps, we love you, all the honey. And I thought, that that's the title. They gave me the title, but I didn't know what it meant. And, and so I had this kind of all day long, Eric, my husband, and I were skiing up at Priest Lake, and I kept thinking, what is it? What does it mean, all the honey, all the honey? And finally arrived at this um, understanding that the all the honey that's ever been made comes from two things, from the bitterness of the pollen that feeds the bees and the sweetness of the nectar that's put into the honeycomb. So that it became metaphoric, I suppose, a metaphoric imperative to create a project that that did that, that reached at the same time toward despair and joy, toward loss and elation, toward, you know, devastation and beauty. The, the book is made up of poems that have been written in the last maybe four years. So certainly maybe a quarter of them are about what life has been like since Finn died, but the majority of the poems were written previously. Did your experience of grief contain some of that kind of bipolarity that you're talking about, where, I don't know, kind of the power of memory, but also the power of loss were combined together? Mm -hmm. Or was it a more, um, were the processes for writing the different poems more separate? I've had many moments, honestly, since Finn's death that felt like they were strictly one thing or another. Um, I think almost every breath feels like it's rung through with an astonishing amount of love and a, you know, insane heartbreak, right? At the same time, uh, actually, this isn't what we were going to do, but I have a poem that talks a little bit about this. Is it okay if I read that? Absolutely, please. This is a this is a poem. I mean, anyone who's been through a, a moment of great loss, you know, 
probably has dealt with the same thing that people who then see you and they say, how are you? And um, this is for when people ask. I want a word that means okay and not okay. More than that, a word that means devastated and stunned with joy. I want the word that says, I feel it all, all at once. The heart is not like a songbird singing only one note at a time. More like a Tuvan throat singer able to sing both a drone and simultaneously two or three harmonics high above it. A sound the Tuvans say that gives the impression of wind swirling among rocks. Oh, the heart understands swirl, how the churning of opposite feelings weaves through us like an insistent breeze, leads us wordlessly deeper into ourselves, blesses us with paradox, so we might walk more openly into this world so rife with devastation, this world so ripe with joy. I think, Gavin, that poems want more than anything to reflect real life, and real life is strung through with paradox. And so it is that that a poem that <laughs> is worth its salt, I should, you know, is, is a poem that will somehow touch not just one note. Uh, the question I, is on the tip of my tongue is, when is poetry most alive for you? Hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about that a little bit in terms of kind of community and in terms of reading and in terms of sharing of poetry. Um, but maybe that's not where your mind goes. So uh, I guess that's some of my curiosities. Hmm. Where is poetry most alive? Well, I'll tell you that I do love what happens anytime people get together and share poems, whether that's in a class or in a reading or in a you know, just sitting outside with a book yourself, I suppose. Um, but but specifically when, when people come together and talk about poems, immediately what starts to happen is that we uh, begin to speak in a language of metaphor, which is very different already, a very different kind of invitation to enter into conversation. It offers room for um, lots of tangential thinking and lots of um, and epiphany, really, and so when, when we start speaking together about a poem, of course we're talking about the poem, but we're also talking about what does it mean to be alive? It, it, to, to write a poem, to talk about a poem, is really to talk about what is it to be alive. That was Telluride-based poet Rosemary Watola Tromer discussing her latest collection of poetry, All the Honey. Next Tuesday evening, May 2nd, the Telluride Arts Gallery on Main Street, in collaboration with Between the Covers Bookstore, will host a reading and book signing with Tromer. The event will also feature music from Warren Gilbreth and original readings from a handful of local students. The event will take place at 5.30 p.m. Godo News was recently recognized by the Colorado Broadcasters Association for its excellence in news programming in 2022. This week, we're highlighting Kodo's award-winning stories from last year, Today, we have a story from KOTO's Julia Caulfield, originally broadcast in August 2022, 
following local law enforcement as they train for the worst possible scenario. It won't be long before the Telluride High School is once again bustling with students, going from one class to another, chatting with friends. But on a clear evening in August, the lobby of the Palm Theater is bustling with law enforcement and paramedics. It's unfortunate that it's come to something that we have to train in our schools for something like this, but you know, having Columbine happened over 20 years ago, I mean, we're expected to be proficient at these at these these scenarios. Telluride Chief Marshal Josh Compt. Officers from the Telluride Marshal's Department, Mountain Village Police Department, San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, and Telluride Fire Protection District are gathered together for an active shooter training. Chief Compt starts with a debrief on how it's going to go. We have two scenarios. We're going to just be literally walking through these. So we're going to walk through it, work on going through the motions, make mistakes. The training on this night is focusing on getting a shooter contained in a location, moving rescue task forces into the building, triaging victims, and getting them to safety. Victims in this training are portrayed by pieces of paper with descriptions written on them. Some say deceased. Others describe how the individual is wounded. If you're asking for stuff at the Unified Command, ask for it. Right? We're not going to have a dispatcher repeating that or saying, but we want to hear you guys voice what you're doing. Um, you know, if you're asking for multiple helicopters, multiple units from other agencies, voice it as, as realistic as we can to get those agencies rolling from the law enforcement side, same thing, just voice what you're doing. In the first scenario, a shooter is near the gym in the intermediate school. So it's uh, Monday morning, we'll say 11 o'clock, Jimmy's our SRO, Jeremy's our deputy working patrol. We get respond, Jeremy's here for a meeting, we get calls of the shots fired here on in the intermediate school on the north side. Go. As they're passing, their main job is to, to go to the threat. So we have our role players, which is our piece of the paper down here, which should indicate to them with the open door as well that this is where our first mass casualty incident is. Two right through multiple victims in one of the two. Watch stairs. Watch stairs. Bring. Those are out. Those are in the play. Sorry, keep pushing. Outside, keep pushing. So it's like ran to the boys' room here, 116, okay. 11, 16. They're locked in. Okay. 222. Suspect is contained. Start forming a rescue task force. The way it should work is they should start seeing these issues, start seeing that we have in this room a lot of people down. So this should be our first casualty collection point. So we want them to grab people, bring them in here, and then start treating as best they can. And then law enforcement will provide cover on the windows and the doors. And everything. Several deceased in front of us. As soon as she comes out, mm -hmm. I'll push into this room and cover. Once I clear this room, she'll hold here and you guys can hit these people, okay? Alright, move it. Alright. Checking for pulse, airway, deceased. Okay, right shoulder, awake. Show me two fingers on your right hand. Following commands. About ten people down in here, be a good CCP. Okay. The scenario wraps in about 15 minutes. Law enforcement set up a security corridor, paramedics carry victims to safety. It didn't go completely flawlessly. There's room for improvement. But comp notes, that's the point. Training to get better and to be prepared for the unexpected. It's all going to be game time decisions, right? And, you know, you guys heard me say it before, my favorite coach by Mike Tyson. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? So if we're going to come in here with the best case scenario, this is what we're going to do, and it's going to change. It's always going to change. It's all to ensure, Chief Comp says, they're up to the task if the unfortunate time comes.
Hey, from when we're ready, CC no pause, airways open, no breathing. Over the past year, this space has hosted visions of mushroom people captured with an antique camera, depictions of the animal world painted here in Telluride by an artist originally from Sudan, and headshots of rock stars in ski gear getup. Now it welcomes the diverse creations of high school students from the Mountain School. That venue is at Telluride Arts HQ Gallery on Main Street, and the student exhibition opens this Friday, April 28th, with a reception from 4 to 6 p.m. Works on display are the product of efforts spanning the entire school year and come from nearly a dozen high school students working in an array of mediums. If a school bus is stopped and has its lights on or flashing, drivers coming from both directions in all lanes of traffic are required to stop at least 20 feet away. This reminder is being put out by the Telluride Marshals Department in association with the school district following a number of incidents in the past few weeks in which cars have passed a school bus that was flashing its lights and letting students get on and off. In related news, the school district is currently transitioning to using drivers hired through Telluride Express rather than drivers employed by the district itself. The new drivers have all gone through a training with the school district and are certified with a CDLS license. This high level of certification is specifically for school bus drivers. The transition will allow district staff, who are currently bus drivers, to focus more fully on other job responsibilities, such as on-site maintenance in the schools. A set of bills that would expand treatment for people with eating disorders passed the Senate on Tuesday. One of them would create the Office of Disordered Eating Prevention in the State Health Department. The office would provide eating disorder resources and education. It would also collaborate with other agencies, like the Office of Suicide Prevention. The other bill would block health insurance companies' use of body mass index in evaluating care for someone with an eating disorder. It would also outlaw the sale of diet pills to people under 18 without a prescription. Both bills now move over to the House. Governor Jared Polis signed a bill into law Tuesday that would help farmers and ranchers repair their own equipment. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports it's the first law of its kind in the U.S. Governor Polis signed the bill next to a huge tractor outside the state capitol. The so-called right-to-repair law requires agriculture equipment manufacturers to hand over parts, software, instructions, and other tools necessary for owners to make repairs. Usually, owners have to go directly to a manufacturer or dealer for maintenance. In many rural areas, that can be time-consuming and expensive. Polis says the new law will save time and money for some of Colorado's most important workers. We know that Colorado's farmers and ranchers are the heart of our thriving agricultural industry, our number one export, putting food on the table, propelling the next generation of jobs. The new law takes effect at the beginning of next year. Colorado lawmakers passed another right-to-repair law last year for the owners of powered wheelchairs. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. Indigenous Wellbriety, an addiction recovery program in Cortez, Colorado, combines conventional therapy with Native American health and wellness traditions. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more.
three and a half years when I had my injuries, when I had to relapse. Sammy Antez Jr. is standing in the Cortez Cultural Center on a weeknight in March. About 20 community members are listening to him speak about his struggles with addiction. In and out of jail, to stay, I'm still on probation. I'm doing my best to, you know, get out of it. It's going to be my last time. Antez is Navajo and grew up in Blanding, Utah and Montezuma Creek. He was exposed to addiction at an early age. He says that when he was six or seven, his father drank alcohol daily and was physically abusive to his mother. By eighth grade, he was using alcohol and marijuana. In junior high, when his grandmother passed away, Antez was kicked out of school and landed in juvenile detention. It was a rough, rough life. And, you know, I'm glad to be here to share my story and who I am. And, you know, just being on this sobriety road, 100%. I never felt any better. <laughs> but even as he continues to struggle with his own recovery, Antez is helping others. He's part of the team at Indigenous Wellbriety, an addiction treatment program. Aimo Sako is Wellbriety's founder. I really want to acknowledge Sammy's participation and he started out in talking circles and I really value Sammy. He's got a lot of lived experience and he's also a huge motivator when he shares his story. I'm Osako had the insight to create this program, which combines sobriety and wellness with Native American spirituality and practices. In our Navajo culture, harmony means a lot. It's called hajonje. That means that if we can maintain ourselves in that way, we're able to balance ourselves out in any environment, whether it's for our physical health, our mental health, and our family environment. And so the indigenous approach is more about community again, and it's family, it's family focused. The group meeting is a fundamental part of many addiction recovery programs. Some take place in churches or community centers. In keeping with its indigenous foundations, Wellbriety gathers its members in a talking circle. When we provide our talking circles, they don't have to explain the world they're coming from. We're already in it. We already know. We already identify ourselves as indigenous and what it means to be in our space. There's like this sixth sense that we have as indigenous people. For Aimo Sako, another important element is the inclusion of elder wisdom. I care about young people, people that are in jail, people that are suffering. Howard Yazzie is a Navajo elder with indigenous wellbriety. My great ancestors, part of what they taught me, my grandfather, my grandmother, what they were carrying on, I'd like to continue teaching that in a way of making people understand how they should be living in a good life that they should be going on instead of going in a dark world. Aimo Sako had the idea for a program like this when she was in graduate school. We were assigned to um, come up with our own program. What would our dream program look like? I just noticed through observations that a lot of our indigenous clients were having trouble in accessing services that are unique to them and their population. In my grad school studies for my programs and development course, I was thinking about a Native American resource center. Years later, with more career experience, Sako had the opportunity to bring her idea to life in Cortez. For Sammy Antez Jr., Wellbriety is a way to stay in recovery and help other Native people along the same path. You know, I hit the bumpy road, and now I'm a grandpa now, and I'm seeing what life is all about. And quit drinking and my uh, drug addiction, putting that to the side, it's pretty 
good feeling to where I'm at today with my sobriety and, you know, with the indigenous sobriety. It's keeping me from not relapsing them from what I used to do before. Indigenous sobriety is open to natives and non-natives alike, with meetings twice a week and other community activities. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a mostly clear night tonight with a low near 25 degrees. Thursday should bring sun with a high near 50, but a chance of snow returns on Thursday night with a low near 30 degrees and wind gusts reaching 30 miles per hour. Snow is forecast to continue Friday morning, followed by clearing in the afternoon and a high near 45. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low near 25 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, April 26. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, Telluride, happy off-season. This is Megan Berry, director of Rainbow Preschool and Rockies School Age Program. And I wanted to invite all of you to the Rainbow, Rockies, and Rascals Spring Fundraiser. We'll be having our event this year on Friday, May 19th at the Sheridan Opera House from 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. A $15 ticket will include an awesome silent and live auction with donations from your favorite local businesses, as well as enter you into a 2023-2024 ski pass raffle. Also included in your ticket will be delicious food catered by Patrick Leguenz, live music with Sean Mahoney and Flatliner Express, free champagne while it lasts, and a super fun Locals Classic community party. Some auction items include a hot air balloon ride for two, a catered dinner for six with wine pairings, sole paddleboard, fine jewelry, festival passes, lodging, home goods, and much, much more. So please mark your calendars for May 19th to support the kids and come celebrate with us this off-season. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. <laughs>